I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. doing listeners Adam Buxton here very nice to be with you I can't hide the fact that I'm feeling unusually up tempo due to the great great weather as you'll know I'm a simple man who is affected by these kinds of things very deeply and I'm looking at a lot of dandelions some bluebells cherry blossom uh, buzzy bees my beautiful dog friend Rosie is up ahead sniffling snuffling and scampering and enjoying, weather-wise at least, an idyllic day. Just checking the forecast for the coming week. Oh, golden balls, golden balls, golden balls. Golden balls with a bit of cloud. Golden balls with a bit of cloud. It's mainly golden balls. Look at that. Okay, look, I won't go on too much about the weather. Let's get into the meat of the introduction. Some people get very upset about a rambly introduction. I got a message last week from someone saying, you just wasted five minutes of my life with that intro. Five minutes. I mean, that's a very important person there whose time is extremely valuable, but I couldn't help thinking that if their time is that valuable, why are they flushing more valuable seconds down the toilet by composing that message and sending it to me. I don't know. Anyway, here is what I hope is a useful intro for this week's guest on podcast number 75, American musician Eleanor Friedberger. Let me tell you a little bit about Eleanor. She and her brother Matthew formed the core of the Fiery Furnaces, a brilliantly strange indie band that was together from 2000 to 2011 and are, according to the internet, simply on hiatus as Matthew and Eleanor pursue solo projects. For those of you not familiar with the Fiery Furnaces, I thought that I would just cobble together a very short series of musical moments from some of their albums, just to give you a very vague sense of what they're about, not suggesting these are their greatest moments, they're just some moments. Go moments. Fiery Furnaces moments there. You will find a list of the specific tracks in the description to this podcast, along with other related links. Now, Eleanor's solo records are perhaps overall a bit more straightforward than the Fiery Furnaces, but no less enjoyable. Her song, My Mistakes, is one of my favourite songs of all time. Here's a bit of My Mistakes. I love it. I also love the video for My Mistakes. It's directed by New York-based artist Sarah Magenheimer, also linked in the description for this podcast. And it includes grainy video footage of Eleanor shot when she was about 10 years younger at that point, preparing to go out on a date with her then-boyfriend, Britt Daniel, 
lead singer of Spoon, who regular listeners will know I'm a big fan of, and they appeared on episode 47 of the podcast. Now, I mention that only because at one point in our conversation, Eleanor expressed her frustration with music journalists and with people like me who find it necessary to bring up aspects of an artist's private life in that way. But as you'll hear, I I do my best to argue the case for finding it interesting without, I hope, being disrespectful. Now, my conversation with Eleanor was recorded one dark, cold afternoon in February 2016 before she played an acoustic show at East London's Moth Club. Uh, The recording has been sat in the backlog file because I'm a big fan of Eleanor's and I came away from our meeting, which was the first time I'd met Eleanor, feeling that I hadn't really done a particularly good job talking to her. But then I listened back the other day and I really enjoyed it. So I thought you might enjoy it too, especially if you're a music fan, which I know many of you are, and especially because now Eleanor has a new record out, Rebound. So despite being a little late, it seemed like a good moment to put this out. I was listening to Rebound on a loop yesterday. Very good. I think it's one of Eleanor's best. Here's a little moment from the recent single, Make Me a Song. Make Me a Song from Rebound, Eleanor's new album. But our conversation back in 2016 began on ground that will be familiar to regular listeners, with me asking Eleanor about negative criticism before giving her a couple of gifts. I'll be back with more hot waffle and recommendations at the end of the podcast, but right now, here we go. Unless you're a musician that massively crosses over, mm-hmm. then fans tend to be very loyal and respectful, don't you find? No. I think people say, like, whoa, look at her stupid hair or whatever. You know, I think people always find a way to be mean. Are you aware of getting comments like that, though? A little bit, yeah. Look at her stupid hair. <laughs> yeah. Is that one you've got? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> what else? Was it worse you- when you were with the Fiery Furnaces? Or is it worse now you're on your own? Uh, the comments? I, I don't know. No, I, I really do try. I'm kind of joking. I try, I, I try hard not to look at that stuff. Right. You don't want to encourage it. My brother, on the other hand, loved looking at the negative stuff. Like that. He, he really fed off of that. Did he negativity. genuinely, because he's thick skinned or he just couldn't, he was like, he, he liked to pick at the scab? <sighs> Maybe a little bit of both. Probably picking at the scab. Because I never believe people who say that they're not affected by those things. My comedy wife, Jo, Mm -hmm. we used to do a radio show together. And there was a time when we were at a station called XFM. And um, he would look at the computer and we'd get like just loads of negative comments. Right. Shut up. Play some records. You're twats. Right, right. He reckoned that it didn't affect him. He was like, I don't mind. But I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't concentrate right. on the show if I saw any of them. Maybe that he was a sociopath. I think that might be part of it. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. I of... was talking about last night the difference, if there was a difference between sociopaths and psychopaths. Or, or What's your there... understanding? Well, I, I was saying that a psychopath is not a real, like, medical term. I think that's just kind of like something maybe someone said in a movie or something. Sociopath is like an actual like psychiatric term for somebody who doesn't care about the comments. Okay, okay. (laughs) Someone who is able to read YouTube comments with impunity. No, like my brother would revel in bad reviews. Revel and, you know, just love it. He said, (laughs) 
Meanwhile, he would be just laughing, laughing, laughing. He would go into his bedroom and he would cry and cry and cry. I don't think so. You right, really? I don't know. Mentioning psychopaths and sociopaths. Do you have candies right there? Yeah, I do. I bought you some gifts. And I'm the kind of person that is so unimaginative that when they buy people gifts, they just buy things that they themselves like and hope oh, that I'm the, the other same. Pa- I, my, my gift giving is t- it's always just for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes I buy multiples of the same thing. If right. I buy something nice, I'll immediately buy another one and think, well, that'll be a good present. Right. So I've bought you three of my favorite things. Talking about psychopaths and sociopaths, have you read this book? John Ronson, no. So You've Been Publicly Shamed. No. He's a British journalist. And uh, he's been on this podcast. He's a friend as well. And he wrote a book called The Psychopath Test, which was I think, oh, wow. one of his big hits as an author. Well, that's a real coincidence that I mentioned that. Yeah. And so there's a lot <laughs> of that kind of chat within that book. Mm-hmm. But it goes into the whole world of people categorizing mental illnesses and, and right. the money that there is to be made from it and right. how dangerous it can be right. to... Hearing people people say, like, he's on the spectrum. Like, I mean, we never heard that. I never heard that, you know, a couple of years ago. That, to me, seems like a real new thing. That's right. I I talked to John about that exact thing. This is his latest book. (laughs) But who knew that almost everyone I know is on the spectrum? Well, that's the thing. I mean, this is what John and I chatted about. I think pretty much everyone is, don't you? I mean, everyone is more or less... And the older you get, the nuttier you get. Yeah, I guess. You pick up just a load of neuroses and ticks and kinks and right and you are um, and people distinguish themselves by being variously good at hiding them as far as i can tell mm-hmm. you know some people are brilliant at it yeah and they look totally normal yeah. and other people wear their peculiarities on their sleeves a little bit more mm-hmm. and maybe they're artists so they have an excuse you know what i mean right anyway this is a book called so you've been publicly shamed mm-hmm. and it's about the whole um world of online shaming and Twitter storms and people saying the wrong thing and just finding themselves with their lives totally destroyed by people condemning them for saying that. Right. It's very, I mean, it's really (laughs) fascinating. Is that the kind of book that you might read? It's it's funny because I suffer from insomnia sometimes. And now I know myself well enough to know when it's happening, why it's happening, when it's happening and all that kind of stuff. And it's all about you know, just being overly anxious about certain things. And I I fall asleep immediately, but I wake up at three or four in the morning and stay up for like a few hours. And I should get up and read a book maybe when that happens. But instead I just toss and turn and my mind just like is going to explode from too many thoughts and things like that. But I feel like I don't know if this this is going to make it worse. (laughs) Reading this will make it worse I mean, it's pulse quickeningly horrific. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, will this, like, it, you know, make my anxieties? I would say you know, it would, it would intensify. Yeah. Them, yeah. Okay. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> in my mind, it's a the whole book is a kind of a plea for tenderness, you know, in the net age. Mm. I think um, it feels like uh, early days for a lot of social networking and, and people getting used to interacting with each other online, you know. Mm-hmm. I think people are gradually getting used to the fact that these things matter their words matter and right. their actions online really have terrible consequences sometimes anyway so that's thank you a gift for you <laughs> little plug for john there as well i bought your picnic bar this is my current favorite i've never had one of those chocolate candy treat i'm not allergic to peanuts you're not good good otherwise yeah you'd be <laughs> stuffed with this gift and i the love next one. peanuts I mean, this is something I came to late in life because I did not like peanuts when I was younger. Okay. I just thought that any kind of nuts just seemed too healthy. Mm-hmm. Same with raisins. I was like, mate, you've got no place in an enjoyable snack treat. What are you doing? I just wanted solid chocolate and I might eat that while we're talking. Caramel. Do it. <laughs> I like to put them in the fridge. Okay. And then bite into them so they shatter. Okay. What's your favorite sweet snack normally? I don't have a massive sweet tooth. Lately, I've been eating these ginger chews, they're called. And it's just like a chewy ginger. Yeah. Very nice. Somehow that seems healthy. Well, this is the healthiest. Oh, my gosh. You got some. More raisins. Midnight jumbo raisins (laughs) and cashew nuts. That's really up my alley. The only thing with that, I don't know about you, but it causes some incredible airborne toxic events. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. 
And so... Um, I look forward to eating that on the train up to Manchester tomorrow. Well, there you go. Train is ideal. Train or an aeroplane, because then you can chuff away with um, relaxation <laughs> without anyone knowing. <laughs> I've been a fan of your stuff for a while. You're one of the artists who I like more and more the more I hear and the more oh. I find out about them. You Thank know you. I mean? <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's really... Because I was sort of the told... The opposite is a real drag. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does happen though, doesn't it? Yeah. Sometimes you're into stuff and you read interviews or whatever and you think, oh... Yeah. So I tend to not read too much about the people that I admire or who I think I admire In for that they, reason. Right. Yeah. I read a, a piece for the Quietus where you went uh-huh. through some of the albums that you really love. They let me kind of make up a category. The records I've listened to the most times from beginning to end, meaning not like, oh, I like tracks three and four, but it was actually like I put it on, I listened to the whole thing, and then often listened to the whole thing again without stopping. And some of the ones that And there's not out. that many. You know, like when you think about it, when you give yourself yeah. that, it's actually not that easy. I think one that springs to mind for me, a more modern one, is uh, Teenager of the Year by Frank Black. Okay, I haven't heard that one. Do you like the Pixies and Frank Black and that kind of thing? I like them, but I'm, they're, they've never been like one of my bands. I don't own a Pixies album, but uh, I've been surrounded by people who love the Pixies, yeah, and I've yeah. seen the Pixies, and I've, I know all... You know, that's one of those bands where like, I saw them on one of their reunion tours, but it was probably over 10 years ago now, and like... You see a band, you don't have one of their records, but you know every single song they yeah, play. Yeah, sure. I mean, in my mind, their music, and especially his solo stuff, is quite similar to yours. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would imagine that it's the same for musicians that it is with comedians. When people sort of say, I'll tell you who you'd really like, is this other comedian right. who does something similar. And you think, no, I don't like them at all. Right. Because, no, A, they're too similar, and I, right. don't, I, I feel threatened by them. And B you kind of tend to gravitate towards otherness, don't you? Things that are not like yourself. When you were telling me about your YouTube show, I almost said, oh, that reminds me of... And I stopped myself. Uh, who, who, <laughs> who are you thinking of there? I mean, I'm, I don't get offended by it. Well, I was like, oh, it's kind of like Eugene Merman, who well, does a lot of stuff kind of like you See, that. I don't feel threatened by him because he's American <laughs> and he's not here all the time. Oh, okay. But yeah, I've been told that before. And in fact, I was put on a bill with Eugene when David Cross came and did some shows at the 100 Club. Uh-huh. And it was Kristen Schaal and Eugene Merman and myself and mm-hmm. Todd Barry. Oh, cool. So, uh, yeah, kindred spirits, I think. I felt, like, very honoured to be included with them. The last time that happened to me that I remember uh, this woman came up to me and said, oh, have you heard this guy Bob Trimble? And, like, totally obscure, but this, this label had reissued one of his records. She said, the song My Mistakes sounds exactly like this song the first song on his album and i was really curious because i was interested in her opinion you know and, and i went and listened to it and i was like this doesn't sound anything like it but i loved it i loved it so oh, much so cool. i was just like so sometimes it's yeah nice so some of the records you picked out though uh-huh. are some of the ones that i really love i mean van morrison astral weeks uh-huh. That's obviously an album that tops <laughs> a lot of uh, polls. I know. Well, that's why I was a little bit embarrassed by my list because they're it, all very famous, mostly very famous yeah, albums. But it's a good example of a record that still feels like your secret because you don't hear it everywhere you go. It's, that's true. It's not used on commercials. It's not used in films. Right. It's not on the radio, really. Right. And that's an album that I've been listening to consistently since I first heard it, probably when I was 14. And I, I, there aren't very many albums that I've been listening to every year for that many years, you know, and that's definitely one of them. And he's somebody who, like, you hear on the radio, but like you said, you don't hear that record on the radio. And now I've, like, gravitated. I'm such a, I'm a huge Van Morrison fan. And now, because I know that record so well, I don't listen to it so much. So now I've, like, listened to some of his other more obscure records that I you know, like um, Veed and Fleece and Common One, or I was just like, what? You know, and that's the kind of stuff I can also just put on and leave on and just play over and over again and never get sick of. Did you buy the the new remaster of Astral Weeks? I did not. What kind of nerd are you, Van Morrison? I, I recently got a copy as a gift uh, of like a, you know, vinyl reissue, but it doesn't have like, but I don't, I don't know if it's so you're special. Not, right, so you're not someone who 
the mere existence in the public realm of alternate versions of tracks no. on Astral Weeks doesn't fill you with vibrating. I didn't know that they exist. Now I'll go and listen to them now that you mentioned it. Because recently I heard some different versions uh, of stuff on Moondance that I'd never heard. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. You know, but I'll seek that out now that you mentioned it. You know, I mean, it's not, you probably <laughs> won't be listening to them over and over again. You never know. Yeah. But they are quite different. His phrasing and right. his voice is, is an instrument in itself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. Well, yeah, I heard a different version of Into the Mystic, which is a song I've heard a gazillion times. Oh, and just hearing him just sing a few things differently, which to me was a revelation completely as a singer. Like, I was just... Yeah. I mean, I've sung along with him so many times and copied his phrasing exactly. So then to hear him sing one line that you know so well differently was really fun to hear. Yes, it's like you're getting a private concert or you're... Because I don't know if you've ever had this fantasy, but sometimes when people talk about time travel, mm -hmm. the main thing I think about is going back and seeing some of my favourite bands when they were just playing tiny venues, you mm -hmm. know, and also recording some of those songs, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a massive uh, nerd in that way. I watch all the classic albums, yeah, documentaries yeah. and things like yeah. that. I love all that shit. Yeah. And um, as soon as you get a balding guy going through and, and raising faders on a mixing desk with the original masters <laughs> I get very sweaty and excited and when you hear those alternate versions it, it does feel as if you're eavesdropping on the session right my friend Danny he's got these new Dylan reissues mm -hmm. where there's like 25 versions of like a rolling stone right well I recently heard like the two other versions of went to see the gypsy that's like one of my favorite Dylan songs for some odd reason and just hearing those two versions, I listen to them over and over. I mean, it's just, yeah, I don't know what it is about those alternate takes. I think it is just because you're so used to what you know. And then when you hear that there was a different way, you know, it's just like mind-blowing. Yeah, it's thrilling. <laughs> um, <laughs> it really And the George Harrison stuff, like his demos are like, oh, those are my favorite. Because you hear those, you know, Phil Spector produced that album and then you hear these stripped down versions of just George playing guitar and singing in his beautiful voice and it's just like heaven to hear that are you the are you sufficiently nerdy that you would listen to interviews just with George like there's a guy oh, I forget his name uh, I'll get fact-checking Santa to interrupt the podcast and let me know his name but this guy um Recorded a load of interviews in the 60s and 70s with massive stars. He, was, he did a load of stuff with John Lennon. Hello, fact-checking Santa here. George Harrison was interviewed by New York DJ Howard Smith in May 1970, a few months before the release of his solo album, All Things Must Pass. The recording can be heard on the Smith tapes. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> and... George Harrison is just completely mind-blowingly candid about all kinds of things that any sort of artist would never be candid about these days, you know, especially money. Mm -hmm. And he's talking numbers and he's talking about how much he owes the tax man. I mean, he's always going on about money, wasn't he, George Harrison? Right. But he's talking about people writing him begging letters for money and how he's actually given some, some guy wrote him a sob story about how shit his life was. So Harrison ended up sending him like, 25 grand or something crazy i'm surprised they didn't get to include that in the um scorsese documentary that he made for hbo oh yeah which i loved but i'm surprised they didn't access those yeah interviews yeah anyway van morrison yeah love the guy however he's a good example of someone you maybe wouldn't want to meet in real life exactly yeah perfect example like i haven't i i've never been one of those people like oh i want to meet my heroes like i have nothing to say you know and I, I would love to see him perform i've never seen him perform but i definitely don't need to go and shake his hand or whatever one might do clean up his poo <laughs> yeah, after, his, yeah. after he's pooed in the middle of your hotel room. <laughs> Is that something he's known to do? I've heard uh, that story. Oh, well, I haven't heard that. I didn't, don't, I don't like if he it. gets a bad <laughs> hotel room. I don't, I don't want to know. I don't, I don't know. know. There's a lot of stories <laughs> flying around. Probably they're totally untrue and it's just based on people getting bent out of shape because he wasn't sufficiently excited to meet them. Right. You know what I mean? Is that real melody? in my phone charger well, well, I left it right there Oof. did you see it well, have you got it well, 
charger gone. What? Where's my phone charger? Well, the battery is about to die. It was on the table. What? Round and round in their heads go the chord progressions, the empty lyrics, and the impoverished fragments of tune. And boom goes the brain box at the start of every bar. At the start of every bar. Boom goes the brain box. It's cold in this room. It is cold. Yeah, we're we're sat in a uh, in a kind of dingy old it's like a working men's club and this is the upstairs bit all um, red upholstered bonquettes and wood paneling but there's no lights on and there's no heat there's no heat the sun's going down outside so i'm i'm actually struggling to see eleanor now <laughs> i've got quite bad eyesight anyway so do you mind me asking you about fiery furnaces or is it something that makes no. your heart sink when, when no but sometimes now when people ask me about I, and i I genuinely don't remember lots right. of things, and I don't want that to sound like I'm trying to avoid the question, but it's been, you know, we started playing together 16 years ago, and so sometimes it's hard to remember specific things. Yeah, of But I'll try, to, I'll try to answer anything you ask me. Matthew is the name of your brother. That's true. And uh, Matthew encouraged Eleanor's music ambitions by buying her a guitar and a drum kit. <laughs> true. Eleanor's father and Matthew's father because their siblings <laughs> was English. Their mother was American. True, she's Greek-American. Eleanor was the catcher on a softball team when she was a child, an indication, she has said, that she has the necessary leadership skills to be a band leader. Maybe. Not just a child, but a teenager even. Why is that a position of... I don't, I don't know about sport or softball or anything like that. Do you know who the catcher is? The catcher sits I'm behind... <laughs> someone who actually catches the ball. Sits behind home plate... You know, the pitcher throws the ball to the catcher, but the catcher is the one who supposedly calls the plays and lets the whole, you know, everyone on the field is looking at the catcher. So the catcher's got his or her hands up and saying, like, you know, out at second, blah, 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 telling everyone what to do. Uh-huh. I do attribute playing sports and being, more importantly, being good at sports is like, helping me and for the rest of my life kind of something get, that gave you by. confidence oh for sure i mean the confidence building yeah yes very important and i suppose and playing with t- other people being right. in team sport especially is like being in a band uh-huh learning how to win and lose gracefully <laughs> graciously yeah the confidence thing is really the, the biggest part you know because i was like just naturally gifted for some reason like kicking a ball and like kicking a ball up in the air so it would go in the goal and when you're a little kid it wasn't just rolling on the ground but if it went up in the air like it was impossible to stop and having that when you're five years old it really ingrains this thing in you that is it was lucky for me I I suppose well it was always my dream to be able to make (laughs) a ball go where I wanted it to with my foot but I mean, it was, and it was, it's terrible. And I know for the people who weren't necessarily as good, it's, you know, equally bad, you know. And I was the kid, like, we'd be separated in school, like, and it would be, like, most of the, mostly the boys and then two or three horrible losers put with, like, most of the girls and then, like, one or two girls put with most of the boys. And I was one of those girls. And, you know, it really it made a, a big impact on me. Mm. You see, I was one of those... <laughs> <laughs> horrible losers who was picked last for the team. But look at you now. Look at me now, exactly. And look at the fact that music has uh, forged an alliance between us two and we could have been mortal enemies. Me well, staring that's... over at you thinking, she's one of the jocks. Well, right, and I think I was lucky enough to grow up in an environment where I was friends with a lot of jocks, I'm putting my fingers in quotation marks, but who were also equally interested in music. And by the time I got to college, I found there was a bigger gap between you know you either liked music or you were good at sports and you were like a frat boy but I always was looking for those people who equally liked sports and music and they they do exist yes Robert Pollard is a good example he's a real jock yeah of course they exist I mean it's like a lazy thing to say isn't it is that it's like when comedians say oh you can't have a good-looking comedian (laughs) 
because <laughs> it's not for you. You know, right. comedy's for us misfits, right. us ugly people. Right. And when, when a good-looking comedian, whether they're male or female, comes along, right. everyone's like, oh, that's not cool, that's not fair. Right. You know. No, it's nice, you know, balls. to be well-rounded. I, it is nice, isn't it? I'd love, <laughs> I would love it. Okay, when you were in the fiery furnaces, mm-hmm. obviously a part of the interest for journalists, and I suppose for fans, was the mystery of the dynamic between you and your brother, right? Is that fair to say? Well, I don't know what people are... Fa- I, I can't comment on that. Well, here's a quote from a Guardian article <laughs> from 2003. I think people wanted to... Not, sorry to interrupt you. I think people sure. wanted to put us at odds against each other. Right. And that's not mysterious. That's just people trying to create drama and something interesting to write about, you know. But I don't think our relationship as a brother and sister was that unusual, you know. Like, he's an older brother. He bullied me as a kid. We were also best buddies at times. And, um, you know, he's domineering because he's my older brother. I don't think that's so unusual. But you don't have any lasting mental scars. Well, I, I think I do. Other than the normal <laughs> yeah, ones. I, I think I have plenty. I, and I have literal scars. You know, my brother was a very sort of, I mean, I've talked about this before, so it's, I'm not, I'm not, not like betraying. Right? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, he actually stabbed me with a pocket knife Mate. when I was a child. What? You know, How old were you? I was maybe three or four. Oh, my, that's too young to be stabbed by a pocket knife. Yeah, I mean, well, my parents were the ones to blame for, like, to give, you know, it was a little, small Swiss Army pocket knife. Oh, come on. And how old is he then? He's How old, much he older than you? He would have been, he's four years older. So I, I'd say he was either eight or nine, and I was right. four or five, something like that. Flipping egg tucker. That but, is, I mean, he was very aggressive. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I personally... I mean, he still claims it was an accident, but it wasn't, <laughs> he was holding the knife over me, you know. Right. But, I mean, I would love to talk about how frustrating it is that people who are supposed to be writing about music are not writing about music. They're only trying to find some kind of personal story to tell. And is that because people don't actually want to read about music? Or is that because music is so difficult to write about and we only want to read, like, a gossip rag? And it just seems to be more and more the case. I think there's an assumption that people don't really care about music that much. (laughs) But, we, but that's not true. And of that's course so it's not, not true. true. No, but, it, but on TV, for example, the wisdom is don't have bands on because people will switch off. But I'm talking about places where music is actually supposed to be written about. Right. Like a music website, for instance, that starts with a P. You know, like... Yeah, yeah. They don't really write about music, even. The actual music. Sure. <laughs> but I think that all those places, you know, because even shows that are ostensibly about music, people get cold feet on TV and think, oh, well, we can't have certain bands on because they're too difficult. They'll be too challenging and Uh people will turn over. And I think maybe it's like that for journalists uh, who are writing supposedly about music. Uh, They think, well, hmm, we need something to hook people in. We can't just say, oh, look, there's this band because people go, oh, it's just another band. I'm not interested. Right. You need to hang it on some kind of salacious peg. That sounds like a character from the new Star Wars movie. <laughs> um, but but it, the, the sad bit is that usually those things, they're not that salacious and they're actually just really kind of boring and who cares? They're, they're not interesting either because we're not that interesting people, you know? Like, it's just not... Mentioning my ex-boyfriend who, you know, I've been apart from for over six years, is, there, is that worth mentioning? You know, like, I've had a lot of boyfriends since then. Like, why, why do you need to mention that again? I have to say that it was interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting to me because I had no clue. I, I was a Spoon fan, a fan of the band Spoon. Oh, yeah. For a long time <laughs> without knowing there was any connection between you two. Uh-huh. Because you had a relationship with Britt Daniel. The lead uh-huh. singer, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it was just sort of... I, in fact, I think I found out because I saw you in Sydney and you mentioned it before playing oh, really? one of the songs. Oh, and I, oh, that's right. I used to play one of his songs. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought, oh, there that. you go. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And then I found out that he'd even written a song about you, for you, uh, Anything You Want, which is a song I really like. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was enjoyable for me to have those universes intertwine in that way. Uh-huh. I didn't know you'd gone out with Alex Kapranos from Franz Ferdinand. Uh-huh. So that's interesting as well. And it's like, he wrote a song as well. 
for you. So it's fun for a music nerd to know these things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess. You can understand that, right? Yeah. I mean, it must be weird for you, obviously. Especially if you yeah. have No, I was just going back to what we were talking about originally, that, you know, journalists write, playing up a sort of negative kind of dynamic between my brother and I. And, the, and I'm just trying to put it back to like, oh, is that the same as mentioning an ex-boyfriend or something? And I guess it I, is it's it, part it, of the I same. I suppose it is the same. I suppose what I'm trying to say is from, from the other side, from the reader's side, mm-hmm. I don't think you can always dismiss those things as being completely meaningless right but but as i was going back to like van morrison again i don't i've heard that he's kind of an asshole you know so i don't want to read anything i don't need nothing you could tell me about him is going to change how i feel about his music you know and it's not going to add i don't think so i don't think so and i don't want it to you know either so i don't care about who we went out with or his sister what you know it's just doesn't so i i want people to feel that way about me too i mean it's the same as a more extreme example, like I'm obsessed with Woody Allen movies. I don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to know anything except I just want to know about the. I just want to see the movie and have the movie still in my mind. I don't know. I don't want to know about. Well, that's an his interesting private life. Absolutely. I listen. I feel the same way as you. And and of course, um, objectively, empirically, there shouldn't be any real. Yeah, there's no, there's there's lots of brilliant artists who are thoroughly mediocre human beings, mm-hmm. and it, it shouldn't detract from the value in their art. But it's harder and harder, don't you find? Like, have you seen a Woody Allen movie since <laughs> um, the allegations about him have been yeah, public? Yeah, I have. I have yeah. And did it feel strange? Did you think about that at all? Did it as I was your watching experience? it? No, I no. mean, I don't think they're as good as some of the movies sure. that I love that you know yeah, are, yeah. that were before those allegations, but. I'm not sitting there watching him thinking about what he's done or no. hasn't done. Yeah, you're involved in the in the work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just because I flagged it so many times, I'm going to read the quote. That, okay. Um, As she watches her brother, Eleanor, 27, raises her eyes and exhales softly. Not for the last time today, her face arranges itself into an expression pitched between incredulity and weary resignation. <laughs> In fact, she spends a fair percentage of our interview looking like that. She also has a habit of repeating her brother's more outré ideas in a deadpan voice, giving the impression they rank among the most idiotic things she has ever heard. Oh, my God. Where the fuck did you find that? That's, that's actually... He's a good writer, Alex Petridis. Pe- oh, yeah, I remember Petridis. him. Um, that's funny. I mean, that I have to say, looking back on one of the things that I did really dislike about being in the band with my brother was doing interviews with him. I mean, that was torture. There are some... Some inter- torture. Right. There's interviews with you on, on YouTube, and there is a kind of crackly chemistry there. I mean, we could, if we were both in a good mood, it would be fun, and we, I could, you know, be the straight man, and we had this little thing, you know. But just sitting, you know, like, it would just... It, it was a waste of time in the end. Like, I should have done an interview and he should have done an interview and we could have done more interviews that way. It was just... It is... So it's a lot of torture to have to have this partner, as maybe you know about, like, to just sit and wait and then listen and then try and come up with something else to say. And it's just... It's hard, Unless yeah. you're on and you're doing a routine. Like, like I said, sometimes we were able to do and that was fun. Otherwise, it's just kind of, like, just torture. It can be really tough. But, <laughs> so, but, but do you think that that sense of um, torture was something that you were able to use on stage then? Because like sometimes like there's a clip on YouTube of you looking quite irritated with each other, mm-hmm. but then you launch into a version of Police Sweater Blood Vow, uh-huh. which is great. And it's really crackly in the same way that the relationship had been crackly before then. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um... It's not a question so much as a thing that I just said. No, I think I think I'm sure you're right. You know, I can remember having feeling a lot of tension on stage and that feeling exhilarating, and then other times, you know, feeling relaxed. We we had we sometimes, you know, my brother is the kind of person that you know his mood, you know, affects the whole room kind of thing, and a lot of people are like that. I and think I was like that with Joe, <laughs> yeah. um, and that can be very difficult sometimes. Yeah. So if he was angry, it would. And 
and upset on stage about something, usually about a technical thing or just the way something sounded, it would be very nerve-wracking for everybody. So was that something then that you were looking forward to not having to deal with? Yes, yeah, yeah when for you, sure, yeah. Right. And has it proved to be that way? Have the pros outweighed the cons, or do you miss being part of a unit? Do you feel unpleasantly exposed on your own? I generally feel a lot more relaxed and comfortable uh, as, you know, in my role is like getting to tell other people, oh, can you turn that amp down? And not someone, and having someone say, okay, and not being like, no, I'm not going to fucking turn my amp <laughs> It's generally more pleasant for me. Yeah. And the music sounds very different as well. I mean, when you were in the Fiery Furnaces, how did that work? Were you both on the same page musically? Would he sort of make these crazy collages and then you would write lyrics for them? It was was different all the time. I mean, it it was sometimes how I write songs now, which is I'll, you know, have a chord structure and a melody and lyrics, and I would give that to my brother, and he would either elaborate or completely tear it apart and rearrange everything or just, you know, add flourishes kind of like instrumental flourishes. Or sometimes I would just hand him a piece of paper with the lyrics and he would set the lyrics to music. Sometimes he would say, here's the song, sing it. Sometimes he would say, well, I've got this. Do you want to add anything or change? You know, so we had a a few different ways of working together. But overall, I mean, I'm totally fine with saying he was absolutely the you know, music director of the band and really set the tone for how our band sounded. And, you know, although we had a back and forth about lots of things, I mean, he almost always won out. But he was also always, I have to give him credit, always asking me, like, what do you want to do next? What do you want to tell me? You know, he's always asking me. And if I was able to make something happen, that's a little bit unclear now in my memory. Or if it was just like him winning and not an agenda but just you know doing what he thought was best for instance like we started playing sets that had no pauses at all so we would play for like 60 minutes just without stopping at all and and at first we got a lot of flack for it because people would say like you know we want to clap between the songs we want to hear you know and and my brother felt very strongly that that's how we should play and we weren't breaking new ground. I mean, that was that's something that has been done in popular music, you know, forever. But people reacted like it was something terrible and annoying. And that sort of reaction just made my brother want to do it even more. Right. <laughs> and at first I was like, is this right? But then and then I got really into it. And it was almost like a sporting event for me. It was just this, you know, endurance test. And it was exciting. Didn't that leave you completely shredded after shows it did yeah and then i was just happy to just like sing a song and stop and like i said i hated people tuning their guitars but like tuning a guitar and saying something to the audience and that was like a novelty to me when i first started playing on my own but now i've kind of gone back to tonight i'm gonna play and i've made up this set mostly just to amuse myself and kind of going back to that fiery furnaces way of playing and i'm doing a lot of like transitions from song to song and if a song ends in a then well what's the next song that i know that starts in a so i can just keep playing and kind of gone back to that more and more Mm. one of the songs that made a big impression on me early on from fiery furnaces was chief inspector blanche flower Mm -hmm. from 2004 blueberry boat that's the song my brother wrote okay i mean that is very odd it's a very (laughs) odd song i mean it's like a little mini opera isn't it yeah, that's something that, you know, my brother was very interested in doing. He wanted, he still wants to, you know, write rock operas. Pete Townsend was his absolute hero as a kid, and he wanted to write many rock operas in that sort of who tradition. Did he write all the words on that one? On Chief Inspector Blanche Flower. I mean, you that's take... That's the one that started, that's like three, I'm trying to remember. I think he did write all the words. It's fucking mental stuff, though, isn't it? I mean, it's... Well, literally, the, the first kind of character in the song is mental. Okay. So to speak. Information tempo taken in toll to mechanism coping concept. Put my head down, crumple my paper. 
My brother used to work with children with disabilities uh-huh. as a part-time job. And actually, when the band really took off, whatever it did, he was getting his teaching certificate okay. to work with children with disabilities. So he worked with a lot of kids with uh, cerebral palsy and nonverbal kids. And that beginning part of that song is, I think... From the perspective of one of those kids. Yeah. And then it's. Does that make any sense? It does. Yes, it does. He's trying to sort of put himself in the mind of. Special needs children. Special needs, right. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting and odd. And then you kind of alternate, you take turns, Mm -hmm. the perspective shifts throughout the song, and then it sort of gets a bit more conventional. And then suddenly we're like in Scotland. Right. (laughs) Dumbarton Dip. Dampin' Dumbarton Dip. About the 14th of May The publican dropped me a line But there had been foul play The farmer up the hill Came in with his knife He mumbled something darkly About his young wife It is like a play And a lot of those songs I mean that's another big difference Between what I was doing then and what I'm doing now and for better or worse I mean I did kind of feel like I was an actor and I you know my job as the singer was to really put these weird songs across you know and to make them feel real for the audience and now I'm singing these songs that you know Maybe I'm the actor, but I'm also, you know, mostly singing from my own perspective and sharing pretty intimate details about my life and the lives of, you know, other people who I know. Some of your lyrics have the feel of a journal entry or a phone conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Do you you keep a journal? Sometimes I do. And do you raid it for songs? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely raid emails and texts. And if I hear something someone says, either someone I know or don't know, I, I write it down if I think I could use it later. Has that ever caused any problems? Does it make you worry about people feeling misrepresented or, or hearing something that they realize, hang on, that was something I said to Eleanor? Uh, no, I don't worry about it. <laughs> All right, good. I'm just trying to stir things up. Because, yeah, there's lots of great little details in there, like... That was when I knew from your album, Personal Record. I met her in my bedroom at a party Halloween And she was wearing a pair of overalls So I sang, come on, Eileen Oh, I was being slightly mean And that just made her smile Which made me feel childish Yeah, yeah, yeah That seems to be, from, from my point of view, about a woman you met who ended up being a bandmate <laughs> or playing in a band? Do you want to know the truth? Or I mean, do you want me uh, to... This like, is, this is a big question, actually. Do you want to know the truth? Well, I mean, that makes me just completely small-minded, like I have to just... Not small-minded, but I mean, you have a story in your mind, so do you want to keep that? Um, <laughs> can I have both? <laughs> No, because if I tell you something, then... It'll be replaced. Yeah, and I, and I feel like it's better for you to keep your story. I know that would be the mature thing to do, but I'm, I'm not... Because what are you going to gain from that? An insight Knowledge. into my ability to decode your lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have them confirmed. No. I'm telling you what I think it is. Okay, good. You should, sounds... I want you to keep thinking what right. you think. Okay. <laughs> I think it's a bandmate that you had a crush on okay. and, that, um, <laughs> and that made your life difficult for a Interesting. while. Interesting. He didn't mention his mother from your current album. Uh-huh. Uh, now, this is a line that I know people have quoted back at you a lot. I can still see you sitting on the edge of the bed Looking at me like it was something. So that line in itself, it's like, whoa, is this? Because I think everyone's been in that position, either being the one looking at the other person and looking as if it was something, 
or being the other person saying, oh, you thought that was something. <laughs> so is that, is that, I'm thinking like, is that her being pleased that he thinks it's something? Or is that her thinking, mate, that was not something? <laughs> Presumably there's supposed to be an ambiguity there, right? Mm. <laughs> Walk over this the bridge and keep walking ahead of you. You've just had a shag. You go out. <laughs> And it's early days in the relationship. Yeah. You're going for a walk. Yeah. And you're walking ahead of him. You're you're maybe walking briskly because you don't want to tag behind and have an intimate chat and maybe have to hold hands and I don't know. Maybe he's not even on on the bridge. Right. He hasn't even got to the bridge yet. (laughs) Well, he's back in the flat still. And you're plowing across the bridge thinking, whoa, fucking, what was that? I wanted some. I so wanted something to happen that day, and then what I wanted, it happened, and it just don't always happen that way to me. (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) Hey, I've got an idea. How about tonight? I just play guitar. I just work on my guitar, and you just do a spoken word. I'm happy to do that kind of session over the top. Happy to do it. That never sounded so good. There's a lot going on in there, isn't there? As you say, that's the joy of music and, and those kinds of lyrics and poetry is that you slot them into your own experiences. Right. I mean, that's the hope, you know. Yeah. Your stuff is good for doing that, I must say. And there's a lot of kind of romantic yearning. A lot of it reminds me. I mean, now I'm now like mid-40s, married, children. Life's over. Well, that part <laughs> yeah, of my life yeah. is over. You know what I mean? I don't mind. I've come to terms with that. And there's many, many great things that you get instead of that yeah no the the, i think that is a big difference between i'm not married yeah um and that kind of that is the best word the yearning is an extremely powerful emotion that is very good for writing songs in the sort of tradition that i'm writing songs in. it's a lot about yearning and it helps that that still happens in my real life, you know. And if it didn't, you know, I would hopefully find something else to write about. But Yeah. Sport. <laughs> yeah, playing softball, um, probably. It's musical performance time on the podcast. <laughs> Go studio. Will you introduce it? This is called He Didn't Mention His Mother. I feel just as crazy as I did last night I feel like I'll get up and go Today I'm frozen but tomorrow I'll write about you Uh-huh A friend and her baby and a dog that I know I got nothing done, that's the way On the roof in the attic or out the window Was it you? Uh A mouse, a bear or a bug A house, a chair and a rug A mouse, a bear or a bug Was it you? Was it you? I can still see you sitting on the edge of the bed Looking at me like it was something Walk over the bridge and keep walking ahead of you Uh I so wanted something to happen that day And then what I wanted, it happened And that just don't always happen that way to me, oh no. Massive bear 
above I has a chair and a rug A massive bear or a bug Yes, it's you, oh yes, it's you If you're okay with that, I'm okay with That's that. That's great, yeah, thank okay. you so much. No, no problem. Wait, this is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code Buxton to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Continue. Welcome back, Podcats. Thank you very much to Eleanor Friedberger for giving up her time to talk to me and to play that lovely song. Thanks very much to Richard Walsh for helping to set up the meeting. A reminder that Eleanor's excellent album, Rebound, is out now. And if you feel inspired to further explore her work and the Fiery Furnaces back catalogue, there's a few links to some bits and pieces that you may find interesting on the description to this podcast, including that article from The Quietus about Eleanor's favourite albums that you can listen to right the way through, and uh, that performance of Police Sweater Blood Vow with her brother Matthew that I mentioned, and a few other bits and pieces. Uh, You can probably click on those links from your device, and depending on what kind of device you have, they may take you to the relevant places, but... um, If you visit my blog, adam-buxton.co.uk, and click on the Podcasts tab, then open up the relevant episode, it should work like a blog post and be even more user-friendly, I hope. So look, if you're still listening to this episode, I imagine that you are open-minded music enthusiasts. So I had a couple of recommendations for you. I was watching this week and last week a couple of great music documentaries that I thought I would mention. One of them is called Hip Hop Evolution. It's a documentary from 2016 that first aired on HBO in Canada. And it can now be seen on Netflix. Both of these docs that I'm going to mention are on Netflix. I'm not sponsored by Netflix, by the way. I'm not obliged to sing their praises. I just happen to have seen these shows on there. As I was saying to Eleanor, I do love music documentaries. But I feel as though at this point I might have seen all the footage uh, shot in CBGB's ever and I probably have heard every single classic rock band breakup story from the 60s to the present day so as I'm not a hip-hop expert by any stretch this was like finding a huge glittering Trevor Trove it should be noted that like any doc that sets out to tell the story of a whole movement it's bound to have glaring omissions and biases that serious fans would take issue with. No Salt and Pepper, MC Light or Queen Latifah, for example. And why does the series not mention Nas's Illmatic and skate over the cultural impact of Luther Campbell and the Miami bass sound? I'm just reading out bits from a review I saw at this point. But there's an awful lot of other stuff in the four hour-long episodes that is fascinating and totally joyful whether or not you love hip-hop there's wonderful bits of archive that i'd never seen before from the early 70s through to the early 90s as well as a few bits that you have seen but you don't mind seeing again and nearly all the interviewees are terrific value 
I particularly fell in love with Daryl DMC McDaniels. I didn't realize that DMC was just Daryl McDaniels. Someone at school told me it was direct metal cutting. Oh yeah, run DMC, it's uh, direct metal cutting. It's like a technique that they, they use to make it. Okay. No, it's just Daryl McDaniels. And he's just about the most sparkly, youthful, self-effacing fellow you could ever hope to meet. He just seems terrific. He's worth watching the whole thing for alone, but there's so many other characters in there who are equally charming and interesting and funny. So yeah, I would recommend hip-hop evolution. Biases and omissions notwithstanding. Also highly entertaining, though in a very different way, was another four-part documentary that features a wealth of amazing archive and interviews again, and this one's called The Defiant Ones. Uh, quoting now from the description, The Defiant Ones tells of the unbreakable bond of trust and friendship between music legends Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre, two street-smart men from different worlds who together defied traditional wisdom and transformed contemporary culture in the process. So it's the story of how these two found each other. First of all, Jimmy Iovine's early life as a uh, engineer and producer for artists like John Lennon and Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty and Patti Smith, uh, Stevie Nicks, and then Dr. Dre, obviously, it sort of picks up almost where the hip-hop doc left off, although they do cover his very early days being part of a, a much more glam and silly-looking outfit than N.W.A. ended up being. But then you, you cover the NWA years and, uh, and the chronic and the change that that album made and, uh, and then the years beyond um, of gangster rap when things got serious and dark with Biggie and Tupac and Suge Knight and all those characters. And the two, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre, come together and form this label, Interscope, uh, now, I might be getting some of the details wrong here. You'd have to watch the doc. But the labels Interscope and Death Row feature very heavily in the documentary. And a lot of those artists on there are interviewed. Snoop Dogg and um, Eminem, uh, Gwen Stefani from No Doubt, Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson is mentioned, though not interviewed. So there's lots of interesting characters popping up. Although that kind of music was never my favourite, really, it's still very interesting to watch this doc. And unlike hip-hop evolution, which to me was a celebration of creativity and, and a look at some of the social conditions at the time that fostered that creativity... The Defiant Ones is much more the story of the relationship between business and creativity. And more than anything, it's a story about two blokes who made a shitload of money in ways that were sometimes quite questionable. And it's not a total hagiography, this doc. You do get a sense of some of the nastier and more cynical aspects of the music industry and the personalities involved. Um... But yeah, I, th I thought it was very entertaining, very interesting, occasionally a bit depressing. What do you think, Rose? I don't feel that Snoop Dogg represents me as a member of the dog community, and I still find some of his lyrics highly offensive. But on the plus side, I did lie on my back on the sofa with my paws in the air and my head hanging off the side while I was watching this. So that was really good. I enjoyed that. That was a much better and more concise review than mine. Yes, yeah, all right, you're welcome. All right. Let's head back and enjoy the rest of the sunshine. Thank you very much indeed to Seamus Murphy Mitchell for his uh, production input on this episode. Thanks once again to Eleanor Friedberger for talking to me, for making the time and for her patience. And thanks most especially to you, Podcats, for listening right to the end. Might be a bit warm for a hug. Should we just go for a uh, snooty Euro kiss? Till next time we're together. Oh, beautiful bird action. Please go carefully. And remember, I love you.
check out this mad techno bird. This is one bird making all this noise, flying around. Oh, that was wicked. <laughs> 